control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio, entering our second decade as the number one Irish tech podcast with the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. We're on air with RTE and online via your favourite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts or Spotify or TuneIn, whichever you like. Uh, we also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters of what you can get uh, for free at our website, techcentral.ie. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, I'm a little put off at the start of the programme because we've had an email in today from uh, Jeff Bezos at aircom.net. <laughs> wow, you've covered an awful lot of bases. <laughs> an awful lot of bases in that one line. You've pretty much summarised the news of the week. <laughs> Let's get to Jeff Bezos in a minute. But of course, uh, number one, Jeff Bezos would never email us. And number two, on aircom.net, do you think Jeff Bezos is going to pay six euro a month? <sighs> well, the, the question is, will anyone pay six euro a month? Uh, aircom is definitely hoping no. I think is the uh, the only way to look at these things. I think that's exactly what the strategy is. It's like, you know, slap a charge on that. Yeah, because aircom.net uh, was popular 20 years ago when people were just getting on the internet. They got their CD and they got their, you know, password and all that to put into the modem and they, and they got their free aircom.net mm. email address mm. and uh, they got wonderful webmail and wow, this is the future. And of course, aircom became air and wonderful, this is the future, and uh, now they've got a service that they really, really want to get rid of. But there's just no money in it for them. There's so many free email alternatives out there. That's probably their argument as well. Yeah, Um, so why would you bother with that kind of structure and everything like that, and and to keep it maintained and in place, and and deal with people going, I've forgotten my password, how do I log in again, or or whatever these problems people have. Yeah, well, i tell you what the the problem was. Whenever you get an email address, it's a branding exercise, right? I mean, I have a media team email address, people automatically associate me with the company. You have a company email address, people Mm -hmm. go, all right, okay, Mm -hmm. Dusty works there. Um... If you're a normal person, uh, what do you need to be associated with? A corporate brand or just get a Gmail address? Or a Ymail, as my sister does. Took me a while to figure out what that one was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yahoo! Oh, OK. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, every, every time, every email service has a branding element to it. Hmm. If you have an obsolete brand like Aircom, absolutely, the, the corporate overlord will want to kill that brand as cleanly and as swiftly as possible. And this is their way of doing it, is to uh, put a little charge on it. And of course, Irish people being Irish people will go, I'm not spending a penny on them feckers. Well, I mean, who? why would you? And, you know, it's <laughs> obvious what the solution is. And, you know, we operate an awful lot of mailing lists in the company mm. that I work for. And Oh my goodness, have you been through to see how many people have got aircom.net? Is there a lot have, of them? We have, we have. And? And on some lists, yes, uh-huh. There are quite a lot of aircom.net addresses uh-huh. that we would kind of uh, expect because these would be less with perhaps a, an older demographic or people that would have signed up to something quite a long time ago, quite an, uh, an, a well-established product. Hmm. Um, whereas uh, on Tech Central, our own list is um, a bit more diverse and we really started pushing our, our mailing list and that sort of thing m- much uh, in the more recent in comparison to other products that we have. So we saw that there was maybe two dozen, maybe more out of, you know, a master list of 
thousands mm. that would be affected by this. Uh, whereas in other lists, yeah, we've we've seen it go into the hundreds. But again, these are in products that are well, well, well established. So we've started to so get... That, that's probably people who signed up a long time ago and no longer use that email address. So yeah, it's time for yeah. a bit of a clean out anyway. Well, yeah, probably. But, you know, various services... Did you did, did you find many uh, at IOL.ie email address? Oh, do you know what? We still find those. Do you really? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's me. <laughs> that's me. I was back in 2FM back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ireland Online were just getting going. And myself and Barry uh, were very interested in the internet. And mm-hmm. we were kind of like just completely off off base, if you like, or to you were not officially interested in the internet. Right. And myself and Barry were kind of putting together the website with Ireland Online for, for 2FM at the time, uh, and we were just using a, an at IOL.ie email address at right. the time. Um, and it became so popular so quickly that uh, apparently the word goes that in the Ireland Online office, they got a call from the Taoiseach's office saying that the Taoiseach keeps hearing this thing on the radio and he'd like his own Bertie at IOL.ie email address. Wow. So there's a, there's a little story there. And I still Still have it, so I'm, I'm quite sure it doesn't. I haven't logged into it in years. So, well, do, do you know what? Do you know what I have? What do you have? I have a gofree.indigo.ie. Oh my god! Oh my! Do you know who I always complain? I won't. I won't say the person's name, right? Okay. But it was somebody who was working as a consultant, a very, very high end consultant, charged thousands of pounds or euro, or whatever it was, a day, right? Mm. And their email address was bloody bloody blah, blah at. Ocean free. <laughs> oh, goodness. See, this is the point. Your email address is branding. It uh, also can be a bit of a pain because when you are signing up for email addresses, as you were just saying there, you can get hit with a whole load of other spam, which you don't mm. want. True. And you're always asked for your email address for this, that and the other. Do you ever use any of these? Uh, uh, you know, they use the one time passwords all the time now. For, yes. Yes. Uh, Two factor. Uh, did you ever use uh, one time email? I have not. Very handy. If you're signing up for something that you're not sure and you want to test it out or whatever, you can use something like Gorilla Mail is one off the top of my head or there's a temp, temp mail. I think it's temp-mail.org or something. Um, but essentially what you do is you just go onto those websites and they go, hey, how you doing? Okay, your email address is going to be... And mm. be active for the next 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Mm. And then you go to the website that you want to sign up with. You go, yeah, there's my email address. Send me the email and I'll confirm. Mm. Ding. And off you go. Right, right. Very, very convenient. And uh, it, it lasts for the 15, 20 minutes that it takes to confirm that action. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. Uh, absolutely. Nice, so, nice. So that's handy. And the other thing uh, I would say about email, and it's interesting just that we're talking about it today with uh, aircom.net, and Gmail and Ymail. Do you use a Gmail address? Because you were saying you use Media Team for work. Yes, I do. So, so do you use your work email for personal stuff? No, I don't. No, I've got I've got a couple of other email addresses. <sighs> Look at him, international man of mystery. Mm. Um, is one of those a Gmail address? Uh, yes. We had an option of possibly using Gmail, mm-hmm. and I just kind of went, I "Don't like it." <laughs> Gmail, <laughs> because, as because a you know, I'm, hi- I'm I'm highly paranoid. As a service, it's fantastic, mm. and it works, mm. and it's free. Or if you want to use it for business, it's it's very cheap. Do you know what mm. I mean? It's a, everything is brilliant about it. Mm. But you are literally giving all of your information to Google. Yes, like literally you everything. Are. Think about the things that you put in an email. Mm. Well, I, and the years details ago, that are in there. Years ago, there was a friend of mine who was on Gmail long before I was. Uh, he got a, a, an invite when 
you you originally got 50 invites to bring in your friends. Ah, yes. And um, he got an invite and he said, oh, Gmail is really handy. I was like, oh. And he's like, we were organising a stag weekend for uh, a friend of ours. And he said, and you know what? Like, I just had stag weekend in, in the subject line. And all of a sudden I start getting these helpful suggestions. It's great. Yeah, you see, my man would think like, just like that, like, oh, that's I, I just happened to see. Mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you didn't just happen. To, that was by design. That was no accident. <laughs> that was no accident. I don't like that. So, uh, but I have used uh, in previous times uh, a secure email service, mm-hmm. uh, and this would really be for business and negotiations and stuff like that, where you really don't want anybody to um, mm-hmm. to see it or any record of it or da 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 whatever. Uh, there's another service called uh, Proton Mail. Okay. If you're interested in keeping your stuff private, uh, they're based in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can look after your money in Switzerland and not let anybody know. I think they can handle email. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. So there, there's a server out there. Uh, very simple uh, service. You can sign up for free. They don't even ask you for an email address. You don't have to put one in. Um, and you can just sign up. You can use a free account. You can, on- you can only send 150 emails a day on a free account. <laughs> oh, shocker. And... Um, and everything is secure end to end. So the way we used it at the time when we, we had a big legal thing on there a couple of years ago was the guy I was dealing with uh, also had a Proton uh, mail mm. address. So we would email each other and because we're on the same system, everything worked. Everything mm. was encrypted, all right? Mm. Um, the only problem is, is that if you lose your password, you're mm. buggered. Right, okay. <laughs> because not even Proton uh, remembered the, the, the password. Uh, and then if you want to send emails to other people who are outside of your little Proton uh, mail world, mm. uh, somebody with Gmail or whatever, what you can do is you can send them an encrypted message. What they do is they just get a message saying, you've received a thing, click here to see the message. Mm. And you would have to know a password to enter on the website in order to be able to see the right. email. Oh, okay, so it's its own little messaging ecosystem. Uh, exactly. And it reminded me very much of, I think it's FBD Insurance uh, use something like that. The banks use it as well. Mm. I absolutely hate it when I'm talking to each other because they're sending me innocuous emails like, ah, what are you thinking about? Do you want to upgrade on that thing? Or do you know what I mean? Mm. Are you still, are you calling into the office at two o'clock today? I've got to go through this rigmarole of secure email. It drives me nuts. Mm. But that's, uh, uh, that's interesting on the email side of things. Of course, our email uh, came in from Jeff Bezos. Yes. Uh, out save the planet. Yes, indeed. Uh, so he sent us all the details. Tell us, what did he do? Yeah, he is... Uh Devoting $10 billion, $10 billion mm-hmm. to uh, help tackle the climate crisis by creating uh, his own little fund. And the idea is that he will dish out grants to uh, deserving uh, deserving projects. Uh, unfortunately, when I say he's dishing that, he, it's, not, it's not him. It's, he's just set aside $10 billion for a fund that will be administered by Amazon to uh, give money to worthy causes. If, projects, you, if you don't studies. mind me saying so, you sound highly sceptical and bordering on ungrateful. Uh, hang on. Let's run the numbers on this here. Uh, on one level, okay, $10 billion is a substantial amount of money. That is, you know, you can run Ireland on that. I know what you're getting at, because I heard somebody describe Jeff Bezos perfectly the other day, right? Okay. And they said, Jeff Bezos is so rich that even after he got divorced and lost half his money... He was still the richest man in the world. That's how rich he is. It's mu- so I understand. And you're probably looking at, at Bill and Melinda Gates and they kind of said, all right, well, look, you know, we're going to keep 1% of our fortune for yep. ourselves. It's more than we'd ever need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to spend the other 99% on projects. Yep, that's it. Yeah, and that's... that's so is that why you're giving out about Jeff Bezos? Well, I mean, let's not make a big 
hoopla about I the fact that... I am making a big hoopla like, about it, because you sound really, really okay, snarky okay. about it. Look, look at it this way. Uh, $10 billion sounds fantastic. He has a personal fortune of $130 billion. Uh-huh. He is giving away about 8% of uh-huh. his worth uh-huh. to okay. tackle an existential crisis for humanity. Niall Kitson is walking down Grafton Street. <laughs> he has a hundred euro in his pocket. Yes. Chugger comes up and says, please help the children, the cats, the dogs, the nuns, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. All we need is a tenner. Niall Kitson looks at you and says... Uh, no, no, thank you. No, thank you, of course. That's only 10% of your fortune yeah. on your person at the time. But, yes, on my person at the time that I've been chugged. <laughs> I've not had the you know opportunity to sit down and think... Okay, here's the charity that I'm going to support. Do you not think, though, that... And I think it's it's great because I think Warren Buffett does it. Uh, I think Bill Gates famously does it. I think now, now that Jeff Bezos is doing it, that these people with incredible wealth are actually thinking of donating sizable sums of their wealth. Yes, yes, but... For Dusty, the betterment of man. Oh, Dusty, my God. You, don't you, what? Don't you understand... Go on. With great power... <laughs> with great power... <laughs> Comes great responsibility. What are you, eight? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Do you know, I would hate to be married to you. You are so hard to impress. It's unbelievable. (laughs) And on that note, I think we'll wrap up with the uh, news for this week. Thanks, Don. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. The design of something is hugely important, as we saw last week when Samsung released the S20 and the Galaxy Z Flip, because all anyone is talking about is the Galaxy Z Flip, because its design is so different. We love this area of design. We speak about it frequently. Uh, Making things look cool, but practical and easy to use is not easy to do, and we love finding out about people to do who do that. So to chat about it, Niall Kitson... Uh, was at the 3XE UX conference in Dublin recently and caught up with Coleman Walsh, CEO of the UX Design Institute, to have a chat. Ideas are dime a dozen, um, but it's how you, how, how, you, how you deliver on that idea really matters. So, for example, can you remember the name of the first portable MP3 player? Yeah, I think I think people sort of remember the iPod, but it certainly wasn't the first breed. No, it wasn't the first. It, was, it wasn't even in the first year of uh, portable MP3 players, but the iPod stands out in the memory and it was the breakthrough product because it was designed so brilliantly. So, you know, what was the first email or, you know, uh, a web-based email? You know, I, I think people would look to Hotmail, for example, because it was the first to, to make that breakthrough, but uh, certainly not. Yeah, and, 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 you know, Hotmail was definitely one of the earlier ones, but, you know, Gmail has dominated because it was, it was designed uh, um, more effectively. So um, I think design plays an important role in taking ideas and, you know, converting them into actual products. And also, critically, um, an important role design plays is to work out whether ideas are any good in the first place. So if you're really following the the design process, what you'll do is before you build your product and release it to your users and your customers, you'll actually you know, create a prototype and test it out with people first and see, well, does this idea have any legs? And if it doesn't, well, you'll save yourself an awful lot of hassle, time, money and heartache uh, by not releasing that product at all. And when we look at the idea of, of you know, 
maybe parking heartache to, to one side, but to money certainly on the other, you find that there seems to be two mindsets at play. There's the engineering one, which is all about developing more and more features. And there is that design one, which is about looking at what features actually get used. So how do you strike that balance between that sort of engineering mindset and the, the design slightly soft science one on the other? Yeah, it's, that's a that's a that's a really good point, and there is all there there is that clash because um, engineers are builders and they like to build, and uh, I think part of the engineer's mindset is that look, the more features you can you can pack into a product, the better that product is from an engineering perspective, and that's probably true, and I think that is why design has become such an important part of the technology industry and it because it because it, it adds that balance. I think there's the industry has learned over the years that you know feature creep and loading features into a product doesn't actually lead to success uh, and oftentimes it can lead to, to, to the opposite so it's about um, you know how do you find that balance I think it's about teams working together making sure that design has an important part in your product team or your project team and it's also about making sure that the design team can communicate effectively as to what the benefits are of you know particular features and a lot of that comes down to uh, doing research uh, user research and then communicating clearly the results of the, that research back to uh, um, uh, to the team and and again like I said earlier, it's about, well, look, we have this feature idea, but let's make sure that it's actually solving a problem. Let's make sure that it's actually delivering value to somebody before we add it in to the product. Um, because, as you might have heard recently, uh, uh, there is every feature that you add into a product has a cost. You know, it's expensive to, 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 to build it, to design it, to test it, to maintain it. Uh, it clutters up the inter- interface, so it adds a bit of complexity. So there's always a trade-off when you add a feature to a product. You know, is the benefit that it brings to the user worth the complexity, the cost, the time? the hassle that uh, goes with it. So when we're looking at that idea of feature creep, um, have you seen some examples in the past of you've seen a product and you straight away you've gone, no, that's a terrible idea and nobody's going to use it? Yes and no. Well, one of the things that, that, that strikes me all the time is, um, and, I, and I'm kind of surprised that, you know, given the advances in, in design and particularly in the consumer electronics industry since the iPad, is television or uh, remote controls. Um, and, you know, I don't know how many conference rooms I've been into, how many hotel rooms I've been into, and the remote control just has a plethora of buttons on it that makes it difficult to do the, the most basic things. You know, oh, how do I switch from uh, 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 the TV to get my laptop uh, uh, displaying? And that seems to take an inordinate amount of time because the remote control is just festooned with buttons for features that I'm not sure that anybody ever use, uses. So I think one of the great things about design is, is uh, and user experience design is that it's not for me to decide what's going to be uh, uh, a good idea or not. So if I see a new product launch on the market, I'm not egotistical enough to, 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 to say, well, that won't work. But sometimes I am curious to see, wow, is there a market for that? You know, are people going to uh, uh, use this? I don't. 
uh, I don't see it myself, but ultimately it's the users that decide. Um, and if you take me as a sample uh, uh, of one, but a sample of one over and over again, I have to say with television remote controls um, and with other people in, in, in conference rooms in particular, that uh, I'm surprised that that industry in particular hasn't cottoned on that you know most of the features in the product aren't being used by anybody and they could make a much more efficient and effective product if they cut it down to the things that really, really matter. Part of that in software uh, comes down to looking at you know, perpetual audio, uh, user feedback, but also in project management styles as well. Do you find that one style over another is particularly suited to software development and getting that consistent feedback as to what to keep and what to drop? You talking about Agile versus uh, Waterfall? Um, not really. You know, I think I think some organizations do uh, 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 Waterfall. I think Agile is... is, is is where things are going. Um, either way, I think it's about the design culture that you have in the organization, no matter what methodology, uh, project management methodology you're using. If you've got a good design culture, if you've got a culture of, you know, let's check in with the users once a week, once a month, you know, as regularly as we need to, I don't think it's important uh, um, which methodology you use. Uh, it is something that we see in larger organisations that, for example, we see the explosion of data, that people are extremely worried about data. Do you find uh, similarly people are, are getting as worried or as concerned about design as a way of getting their products to market? Or do you think it's still seen as this sort of ethereal kind of, you know, soft science sort of, we can't see the immediate monetary return, so why should we bother? Well, I think it's changed a lot um, in the last... You know, 20 years ago when I first started working in, in design, it definitely was the poor relation and it definitely was a kind of a subculture. Um, but in the last five or six years, there's been a big change and a lot more organizations are, you know, realize that they, they need to do, to do design. But, you know, not everybody is there. And I think some organizations still see it as a nice to have, as a, as a luxury. I think a lot of other organizations are... Um, testing the waters and you know maybe they'll hire one UX designer and then they say well this hasn't this hasn't moved the dial this one UX designer hasn't you know changed the culture of our 1000 uh, software engineers um, and uh, they might be skeptical as to the, to the benefit of, of design but like everything else you really have to invest in it to see the the, the, the benefits so I think the, the 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 change is is happening and I think more and more organizations you know I don't want to be judgmental, but I would see it as the smarter organizations are investing in in design and are reaping the rewards. Now, the other part of that question is um, how do you measure uh, uh, success? And I think... You know, in this conference that we're at today, people are talking about conversions, and I think that's one easy measurement. You know, uh, uh, you know, are conversions up or down? Um, but that's, you know, at a very micro level. If you create a new phone... You know, there's so many different features. You know, what is a conversion on a new phone? How do we know that the design of the phone is effective or not? And I think what you have to get into there isn't the hard numbers of conversions, percentages, uh, uh, um, and hard data. It's qualitative data, um, qualitative research, and you're assessing, well, how do people flow through the product or not? It, you know, uh, we watch them use it, and we have to gauge their reactions and then make our own judgments as to whether those reactions were positive or negative. And I think a lot of organizations are fearful of that. They take comfort in the hard numbers, um, but really, if you really want to know what you know, how your product is doing, how people are feeling about it, if it's effective, you've got to 
using this word balance again, you've got to balance out the hard data with the soft, qualitative data of talking to people, observing people, um, gauging people's sentiment and their feelings. So it's sort of a, a matter of finding the right metric and moving away from, you know, the typical banner ad thing to moving towards sort of a, a longer term, you know, this is, this is what we have learned so far and this is what we can put into product redevelopment. Yeah, it is. And I think, look, it's, it's complicated, you know, and it's complex. Um, when I first started um, doing online advertising, I, I thought that, you know, well, if I spend, you know, one euro here... Google Analytics and AdWords will be able to tell me, no, you got five euros back there. But it's actually not as clear-cut as that. You know, the lines aren't as straight from money I spent to, to, to money I earned. And what you've got to do is kind of, you know, zoom, zoom out a little bit and look at it. Well, look, we put all this design effort in in uh, 2019. And then let's look at 2020 and see, are we getting uh, our rewards from that? Are our customers happier? Are our sales are going up? Um, so, you know, you put things into the pot and then you've got to see what it tastes like uh, uh, later for, for want of a better uh, uh, analogy. So just to, to wrap things up then, uh, of course, you know, UX is bound up in the idea of the user uh, and what they want and the feedback that users are or the user is giving us. So how do you understand what exactly the user is? Is this some sort of mythological figure uh, existing on a, a mountaintop or is it actually someone more specific, but there's a, a wider truth in understanding what they want? Say that the 55-year-old with disposable income, how does their interest proliferate uh, for want of you know without sounding too grandiose but uh, throughout the market yeah well I think I think if you um, have a good design culture in your organization and if you're regularly doing uh, uh, research with your customer it becomes clear who your who your audience is um, so again just using us for example that we seem to have uh, uh, the UX Design Institute we seem to have a, a, a target audience that are in their in their 30s they are looking to change careers um, and they're looking to transition from let's say you know traditional design background say in graphic design into you know digital design uh, 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 space for a variety of reasons. Maybe they think there's more opportunities there. Maybe they think, they think that's the way the world is working. Maybe they think there's more uh, uh, career opportunities there. So that, in a way, becomes our target audience. And all the messaging we do and the, the design of our uh, uh, website and our landing pages and our courses themselves are focused on this particular audience. But what, what often happens is by focusing on one audience, you know, and as long as you're, you're, you're clear that that is really an audience, if you focus on one audience and create something that really works for them, you'll find that other people and other audiences are served by that design as well. So even though we're focusing on one particular audience, we find that, you know, software developers and business analysts and people in their 20s and people in their 40s are also being served by the design and by the product and by the messages we're putting out in the market. So I think the the the, the user isn't mythical, um, but if you're um, a bank, for example, and you have to serve the entire country, you'll say you're Bank of Ireland or KBC, and your audience is the four and a half or five million people that live in Ireland, that's a very big target audience for you. But by zoning in on, let's say, your core audience and just serving them, you you know, if you do that well, chances are that you'll serve the rest of the audience as well. 
And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Coleman Walsh, CEO of UX Design Institute. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with our hourly updates, daily newsletters and more, which you can grab at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, do listen to us every week. We're online in podcast form and in broadcast form on Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.